0: We uh, are on Romans chapter 6, and um, it's another exciting chapter we've got in front of us this evening. Before we get started, though, I want to just remind you that, um, yeah, we've put various points as we've gone along on a Padlet. And uh, you can get to that very easily if you just type in uh, to the internet padlet.com forward slash John Owen forward slash Romans. But the challenge for you is that John Owen had to be written in a weird way. So it goes like this j zero h n zero w three n uh so that's how i've written john owen so padlet.com forward slash john owen forward slash romans and then when you get to that padlet you'll see sort of we tried to do it in order as you go through romans and if you were able to kind of go across you'd see one or two things on romans six this evening which we'll cover and we also wanted to point out to you that at the beginning of that Padlet, there's a link to a spreadsheet with some links on. And uh, again, I'll just share my screen here and uh, make sure that you can see that. But it's uh, it's good, yeah, good that on this Padlet then. Hopefully you can see this, um, yeah, there at the beginning of it, Romans link spreadsheet. If I went to that spreadsheet, um, I would start seeing some of the connections we've been making as we've been going through uh, this study on Romans. And by all means, if you've got some things to add to it, uh, to the Padlet or to the the links, that'd be great. We'd really appreciate that. So I'll stop sharing now and uh, come back out. And yeah, let's just try to recap the argument again, because in the end, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to follow the flow of thought uh try to understand what we're being taught here in this letter that uh, the apostle paul was inspired to write to this ecclesia in rome we remember that the key thing that came out of chapter one is that the just shall live by faith and we realize just what important that verse is because uh yeah, it's come from Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. Uh, if you looked at the Hebrew words there in Habakkuk 2, which find first use in Genesis 15 uh, regarding Abraham and the fact that he did live by faith. And uh, God counted him righteous, he justified him because he believed in God, because he had faith. And then we see in chapter 1, the, we sort of show shown the world that we live in, and we look at it from the sort of third party perspective and uh, say well we do live in a, in a world that really has rejected god it's a world of sin but in chapter two the apostle starts by saying you "No." Know, you've got to understand that you're part of the problem and you're made to sit up. Um, it's a bit like when David is confronted with uh, his sin. And we'll kind of look at that a little bit more in next week's class. But you know, we see this idea that you know we have got to understand that we are part of the problem. And uh, chapter three then goes on to sort of show that some more as well. But then in chapter three, having got us to understand that we need to acknowledge sin in our lives, uh, because it's an acknowledgement of God's righteousness. Uh, chapter 3 begins with a citation verse 4 from uh, Psalm 51, where David confesses his sin, understanding that God is justified in that, in the sense that what we're doing, aren't we, is when we say that I recognise that I'm in the wrong, I recognise you're in the right. Uh, so that's why it's so important to acknowledge sin in our lives. And then we can look to God for the solution to the, to the fact that uh, we have this problem. The the Lord Jesus Christ was victorious over sin, and God asked us to have faith in his victory, to have faith in the fact that he uh, declared the righteousness of God, that sin should die. But in his lovely character, he showed to us how we should live. And uh, if we'll agree with that, and we want to put those principles to practice in our lives. Then God says he will graciously let us share in that victory. Although we can't do it on our own merits, God will graciously let us share that. And then chapter 4 makes the point, doesn't it, that actually, look, God has always wanted faith, and and actually it's the beginning of chapter 4 that quotes that passage in Genesis 15 that I said was the the root of Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, the just shall live by faith, and Genesis 15 is about Abraham. It's showing, look, look at the life of Abraham. God has always wanted faith. He was never going to justify man on works. Uh, and we see a bit of David in, in uh, chapter four as well, don't we, with the citation of Psalm 32. But they're great examples, aren't they, of people who are living by faith. And, and chapter four ends, doesn't it, by saying, you know, look, you know, this wasn't just written for Abraham's sake. It was written for us, too. We've got to learn that that is what God has always wanted. And so then we come into chapter five, which was last week's study. And we saw there how the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience was contrasted with Adam's disobedience. And what's more, we could clearly see the disastrous effects of Adam's disobedience. And yet wonderfully, we see in the gospel message that our sins can be dealt with because of the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience. And so we saw then the power of God's grace It is greater than that of sin. The Lord Jesus victory over sin then is the focal point of God's grace to us. If we'll have faith in it, we can share in that victory. And I want us to see that the the blessings that's come from the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience, because in itself, it's such a strong and simple argument to why we should be obedient to God. Disobedience brings a curse. Obedience brings great blessings. So you see in chapter five and verse 19, let's just recap that verse, chapter five, verse 19, as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners know, because of Adam's sin we are in a right mess and we don't for a minute sort of look hoitly and say "Oh, well, it's Adam's fault we recognize that we are part of the problem we are sinners but then we see in verse 19 so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous disobedience brought a curse obedience brought a blessing and so it's so clear then why he would write in, in chapter 6 and verse 16 Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So the point that I'm making, we'll go back and have a look at chapter six, of course, from the beginning. But there in chapter five and verse 19, the obedience of one shall many be righteous. That the blessing that has come from the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience is surely in the most simple a sort of argument a reason for us to choose to be obedient to God and really this is the key point of chapter six having understood the atonement that through the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ the gospel is available for all men and regardless of how big a problem we might see sin is in our lives God's grace is sufficient for us that has got to make a difference to our lives. Seeing the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience that we can be counted righteous surely gives us a desire to obey. Seeing the Lord Jesus Christ's victory, recognizing how much more good it's brought than Adam's sin must make a difference to our lives. And so the principles of the Lord's sacrifice need to be outworked in our lives. That is the point of chapter six. The principles of the Lord's sacrifice need to be outworked in our lives. The point of chapter six. There's huge emphasis in the world in which we live that we need to do this and do that. Grab every opportunity for self. And understandably so from their perspective, because you could die today. But you see, for us, it's different. We've been made free from sin. We're not going to die. We've been given the gift of righteousness, imputed righteousness. God is working in our lives now. So serve righteousness. Ensure your faith is the substance of your life. Don't worry about this or that, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make that our priority. Make our lives God-centered. Don't focus our lives on sin. That's what the law did. It makes us aware of sin all the time, doesn't it? Those who are living under the law just kept thinking about sin. Sin abounded. But we're not under the law. We're under grace. Therefore, sin is dealt with in our lives. Focus on righteousness, on God's right ways. Think about those things. And Paul now in this chapter and into chapter seven gives three examples of how we should leave Adam's side, as it were, and cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ. First in chapter six, we get the parable of baptism. We have a new life in baptism. And so if we're just sort of understanding the the structure here from verses one to 11, we've got this idea of a new life in baptism. And that's followed by the parable of service. We have a new master in the Lord Jesus Christ, a new person to serve. So that's from chapter, tw- uh, verse, chapter six, sorry, and verse 12 to verse 23. So we've got a new life and a new master. And then in chapter seven, verses one to six, we realize we have a new husband in Christ. So can you see then, and hopefully you sort of uh, can pick this out by just picking up a, a key phrase here. In chapter six and verse three, know ye not. Chapter six and verse 16, know you not. Chapter seven and verse one, know you not, brethren. Uh, and really there you can see then these three sections just each time. And that, that phrase uh, just means, have you never understood? okay and all three examples that the apostle gives so in those three things so i've colored that no you not no you not no you not it's a sort of easy way to, to just sort of break up and understand his the three sections a new life a new master a new husband we have in the lord jesus christ and all three are going to help with the, the, the sort of dealing of this wrong conclusion that you see in chapter six and verse one so what shall we say then Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And we know it's the wrong conclusion because he says immediately, by no means. You know, that, that's certainly not the case. And to sort of show how that that is a wrong conclusion, each of these three uh, things, the new life, the new master, the new husband, is going to help us to deal with it. certainly not. And a life in Christ is not about being able to justify sin. Can you remember that from chapter 3? It was chapter 3 and verse 8, that uh, the apostles' teaching on grace and faith, some were meanly suggesting, was actually a subterfuge for sinning. So you can just see in chapter 3 and verse 8 that he says, some slanderously report uh, that we are saying, let us do evil that good may come. So he's saying that that's what some people are suggesting is what we're trying to do here. And that's clearly not the case. We're not trying to put forward a way of living and in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that can justify sin. And so the Apostle Paul then shows through these three points in chapter six and chapter seven, this new life, the new master, the new husband, that it's not the case at all. That this teaching is about justifying sin. In fact, it was the law that men did use to justify sin. They mistakenly thought that they could get away with it if they offered a sacrifice. And still today in religions of works, Judaism, Catholicism, Islam, as long as the scales tip onto the good side, you can actually do as much as you like that's bad, as long as you make up for it by doing something good. And therefore, in the end, on the day of judgment, If the scales just go slightly more on the good, you're fine. And it's a complete kind of, uh, yeah, wrong wrong thinking. Uh, People who believe that they can save themselves by justifying themselves to God through their works are fools. They completely miss the enormity of the gap between us and God, between our imperfection and God's perfection. Their measuring stick of of morality is up against humanity, isn't it? It, Even up against themselves. We need to appreciate God's righteousness is light years away from our standards. No amount of work is going to bring us close. However, those who do come to appreciate God's perfection are so truly humbled by the fact that he's offering us salvation that it affects their lives positively. Suddenly, those, um, and I count mean, among them, that we, we suddenly see the privilege that it is ours to live, to have health and strength. We know what we are, we're dust, and yet we've got blessings abounding in our lives. We're so grateful for the fact that the God of heaven has reached out to provide salvation by giving his only son. We love the character of God. And we trust in his defining of right from wrong and that understanding drives us life is a blessing and therefore every day i live me and my house are going to serve the lord so our baptisms show our desire to put the old man in us the one that we don't want anything more to do with the one that we we, we think is worthy to die because sin is worthy to die we agree with God's righteousness and rather we want to be counted among those who are trying to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ that's what baptism is about isn't it saying yeah I agree God is right sin should die I'm willing to go down into the waters of baptism to associate myself with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ where he declared the righteousness of God that sin does need to die But I come up out of the waters of baptism because now I can live a new life, one associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and the standard which he showed to us, uh, showing, um, yeah, God's wonderful character. So let's look at chapter six and verse three. Know you not. There's the start of phrase, isn't it? That's as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And we note there that the uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised, as it says, by the glory of the Father or for the glory of the Father. If you remember from chapter three, we can understand that the glory of the Father is his perfect standard. That's what we mean there, don't we? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Do you remember that in chapter 3 and verse 23? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we've all fallen short of God's standard. But in the Lord Jesus Christ's case, because he was perfect and he never fell short of God's standard, in everything he did, he obeyed God, That's why he was raised from the dead by God's standard. God's standard rightly condemned sin to death, but the Lord Jesus Christ didn't sin. He was victorious over it. So God rightly raised him from the grave. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, by the standard of the father, we might say. And our baptisms are the first steps in a life of faith. We want to share his victory. And the newness of life that we read about at the end of verse four, we've been that we should walk in newness of life. It's about the fact that we're now choosing in our lives God's way over our own. That's the new life. It's no longer about us. It's now about God. That's the walk that we've chosen. We're walking in this new way of life. Remember that this is an answer to the question of verse one. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Of course not. We're not baptized to justify sinning. The new life isn't about us. Verse five, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice that it's about him. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We're not kidding ourselves that something mysterious happens when we go down into the waters of baptism. Baptism is symbolic. We come up out of the water just the same physically. But it's symbolic of our new mindset, this new way of life, newness of life. We don't want to serve sin. The Lord Jesus Christ promised that those who believe and are baptised will be saved. And that's from Mark 16, verse 16, isn't it? Those who believe and baptise will be saved. So for those who are baptised with a true belief, in God's eyes, they're now counted righteous. Verse 7 for he that is dead is justified that's the word there is justified from sin he that is dead is justified from sin of course our belief at baptism is what that god is right to condemn sin to death god's standard his glory which was shown in the lord jesus christ is right so verse 8 if we be dead with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him and I hope you can see the importance of belief you know I circled it Mark 16 verse 16 there in verse 8 that, that, that here with this teaching on baptism we see the importance of belief he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. the belief our faith is what will then carry us through after being baptized. We believe that we shall live with him. We're committing in baptism to a way of life associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. We keep trusting God. We don't think for a moment that baptism somehow magically sought us out, that now that we're baptized, well, we can do what we like now, we can justify sinning. Far from it. Baptism was the beginning of a life choosing now, to, to almost put, to put the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice and resurrection into our lives on a daily basis, to put the atonement into our lives each day, to make it the reality of our lives. Yes, it's true, we're still mortal. We still have a nature which is prone to sin. But we're being exhorted to make our baptisms the reality of our lives. Remember what we were doing. Baptism was a public declaration that we agree with God. Sin is wrong. You agree that the flesh needs to be put to death. Not my will, but thine be done, was what the Lord Jesus Christ said before his sacrifice, wasn't it? And when Christ was raised, he was free from sin. So make the positive choice in our lives to live with him. Don't live your life let Christ live in you and I don't mean that in some some sort of quasi you know extraterrestrial type of way I mean it just in the most basic way the decisions and actions that you take need to be with Christ in your mind not what you would do but what Christ would do just like the Lord Jesus Christ not my will but thy will be done now, no one's pretending that's easy. We'll, we'll come on to the challenge more in chapter seven. But that is discipleship. It's the narrow way. That, that's the choice we made when we said, we're at baptism, this is what we want to do. This is the choices we're going to try to make in our life. And of course, we will fail. And everyone listening to this talk will be so aware of the fact that they probably failed today in many ways. Certainly I have but the aim is to live Christ-like lives. And so we have to see the decisions that we take as a choice of who we are serving. So the next little parable concentrates our minds on who is our master. Grace frees us from the constraints of the law. More importantly, it's freed us from a death sentence The lives that we now live determine the choice that we're making. And I put that in the present tense because it is an ongoing choice. We always have free will. We have to choose what are we going to stand for? Who will we obey? Self and sin or God and his right ways? The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed God's ways. He declared his righteousness and surely that's the exhortation for us to follow in His steps, to obey as He obeyed, and so that's why and we've read this already. We get from chapter verse twelve down to uh, verse seventeen. This word "obey" coming up uh, five times. I've got it. So uh, I went for the colour yellow. I don't know what colour you're going for, but come on, let's get this uh, this coloured in. This word "obey" here. See it there in verse twelve. You should. Who are you going to obey? Uh, verse 16 to whom ye obey of servants to obey sorry servants you are to whom you obey or of obedience and then in verse 17 but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you so five times I get this word obey now what I want to share with you here I think is really uh, interesting and, and worth um, yeah a couple of notes on that the word obey in Hebrew is the word shamar And the word obey in Greek is the word uh, hupakoa. And both words have their root in the word to hear. Okay, so the word obey here, we're obviously reading in the Greek, this word hupakoa has its root in the word to hear. And if we went to the Hebrew and had a look at the Hebrew word for obey, we'd find it's the word shema and that too, in fact, with that particular word, half the time it's translated is here, half the time is obey. You know, um, the translator seems to have to choose which one to use. So we've got to think to ourselves in terms of this word obey, we're being asked, who will we listen to? Now, remember, faith comes by listening. We know that from Romans 10 and verse 17. And the whole purpose of this letter is to bring about the obedience of faith. So just have a look at the beginning of the letter, um, chapter one, uh, chapter one and verse five. The apostle says, by whom, from the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience of the faith among all nations. Chapter one and verse five. Come with me to chapter 16, the final chapter. Chapter 16 and the penultimate verse, verse 26. Now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So that the whole letter, you no, know, back in chapter six now, but the whole letter, the purpose of it is to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, we've got this idea, so hold that in your mind just for now, that this word obedience, to obey, comes from listening. It comes from an open ear. Uh, That's how we're going to obey. Now, another key word that I want to pick out now, which again occurs five times in this little section from Uh, in this case from verse 13 down to verse uh, 19 i can see it is the word yield okay so let's see if you can see that now verse 13 neither yield you your members your version might say neither present your members uh, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin so don't give yourself over to serving sin you remember you've got a new master yield yourselves unto god verse 13 uh, verse 16 don't you realize that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servant ye are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness um, and then in verse 19 I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness in, when you were uh, in your old lives and to iniquity unto iniquity even so now, in your new life in christ yield your members servants to righteousness and the fruit of that is holiness so this idea or this keyword yield we see coming through here and the word simply means to stand by and i think that's quite helpful isn't it to think of it like that so the essential point here is where does your loyalty lie who will you stand by who will you yield to Will you lead, yield to your own thinking, okay, sin, which in the end will lead to death? Or will you yield to God's thinking, to his right ways, which will lead to eternal life? If it's about listening to and obeying God, standing by his right ways, even though there'll be times that will fail, God is willing to give us eternal life so let's just read this last section then verse 18 being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness i speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and it iniquity unto iniquity even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and to holiness For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Another key word I want you to notice, and we'll start bringing these ideas together. And you've perhaps noticed this already. In this section is the word servant. Now, remember, I said to you that this section really runs from chapter 6 and verse 1 to chapter 7 and verse six and uh, I'd say that kind of pretty confidently in terms of just seeing those three parables in relation to the fact that, you know we've got a new life in baptism we've got a new master we're going to serve uh, righteousness they the ways of God God obviously and we've got a new husband in the Lord Jesus Christ so someone to, to uh, put all our affection on so we see that in chapter six verse one to eleven the new life verse twelve to twenty-three the new master and chapter seven, verse one to six, the new husband. And if you just notice that chapter six begins, doesn't it? What shall we say then? And then chapter seven, verse seven, and I just underlined this uh, in a color. I can see chapter seven, verse seven, what shall we say then? And that's a phrase you can follow through Romans. But so can you see there? very simply we can see a beginning and an end, bookends you might say to this section. And within that section, 10 times we've got the word serve or servant. So if you've got your colouring pencil at the ready, here we go. Chapter 6 and verse uh, 6, we should not serve sin. The very final phrase in chapter 6 and verse 6. In verse 16, he speaks of servants twice. And verse 17, again. In verse 18, I see it again. In verse 19, twice, in verse 20, once, in verse 22, become servants to God, and then I can see the final one in chapter 7, in verse 6, therefore, we should serve in newness of spirit, the newness of life, the newness of spirit. So we can see there, can't we? The the idea that we uh, it's about who we serve. Now, I'd like to. See if I can bring together some of these ideas we've looked at. This idea of obeying we saw as a key word, the word yield. Okay, where does your loyalty lie? Uh, where, who are you standing by? And the word obey. Sorry, I have got obey, I'm, obey, yield, and servant. And I think that there is an Old Testament precedent here which we can look at to bring together these words. Just put a mark here because we're not going to be long out of Romans six. But come with me to Deuteronomy chapter fifteen. See if I can, uh, yeah, show you what I think might be being alluded to here. Here in Deuteronomy fifteen, we have the law concerning the servant who wanted to remain a servant forever to their master. And what they had to do, if they said to the master, when the master says you can go free now, which you know they had to do uh, at the end of each six years, they say right, you've got a choice now, you can go for free, and I will happily give you some uh, things to to make sure that you you're set up in life. Um, but if the servant turned around and said, you know, I love living here, I love working for you, you know, I want to stay, please, will you uh, be my master uh, forever? then there was a law put in place for that and what we're told in verse 17 is the master had to take an all to deuteronomy 15 verse 17 and thrust it through his ear unto the door and he shall be thy servant forever so the servant you know would stand on the master's threshold of the the door and uh, put his ear up against the, the doorpost, I guess, and the uh, master would basically pierce the servant's ear and make the choice to say, you know, there's the sign. You can serve me in this house uh, forever. And it's lovely in a way, isn't it, that the servant could, could make that choice and say that this is where I, I want to be. We might think to ourselves, well, wh- what was that about? Why did they have to kind of put their ear like that? Well, of course, the, the reason would be is that it's saying, isn't it, as the master thrusts an all through the ear that actually, yeah, I am having to open my ear to you always. You know, that's what he's saying, isn't it, symbolically there in this sort of ritual that, yes, I agree that I will always listen to you as my master. I open up my ear permanently. That's really what's going on here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting is the word thrust, and I haven't made a note of this in my margin, but I only discovered this this week. My pencil's gone missing. Um, The word thrust, when you look that up, it is also translated as yield. That's interesting, isn't it? Of course, the reason that the ear is yielding is because the servant is saying to the master, I will follow what you say, I will listen to you. And obey you forever. That's what we're being exhorted, aren't we? To to yield your members. So, if you actually go back to Romans 6 and verse 19, he talks about yield your members. And and the word members is uh, about body parts. And perhaps the first part of our body, the first member that we should be yielding is our ear. It's about listening to God's right ways, his righteousness. And it's through that that he can mold us and change us to be holy, separate, sanctified. Now, that's what the fruit of obeying God will lead to. We see that um, in the end of verse 19, present your members, yield your ear, servants to righteousness and to holiness. That's where it leads. And what I'm suggesting really here is that being servants isn't simply about what we're doing in service. I think it needs to go back to being about what are we listening to? If we listen to the right master, we'll obey the right master. And so that becomes a real practical point here, doesn't it, for us to think to ourselves, what do we allow to influence our lives? That servant under the law who said, I want you to open my ear forever to your voice. I will always be your servant. That's what we did in baptism, isn't it? We made a lifelong commitment to open our ear, to say, we will listen to you. We will try and make your standard our standard in the way in which we're living our lives. So yes, it's about the doing, but we've got to go back a step and say, what what, what's the influence what are we listening to are we yielding our members opening our ears to the master well another passage that most certainly seems to tie in here is john chapter eight uh there in john eight the lord jesus christ makes the point to the jews the truth sets you free now i will um go to the padlet and share something here with you so see if i can just do this give me two secs to share my screen and um yeah hopefully you'll be able to see this so there on the screen i've put some uh, cross references to john chapter 8 and to roman 6 so there in john chapter 8 the lord jesus christ talks about the fact the truth will make you free and we understand that here in roman 6 we're being taught aren't we in verse 18 we've been made free from sin it's the truth that is enabling us to be free the gospel that's in the lord jesus christ the truth and the lord jesus makes the point to the jews that having told them that the truth that makes will make them free that you know they've got this opportunity but unfortunately they can't grasp the fact that currently they're in bondage to sin and death so they argue with jesus you see in their mind they aren't in it. there's no need for them to be set free well the lord jesus christ then makes the point to them that look anyone who's committing sin is serving sin you know you you are in need of being set free in other words if you if those who are committing sin you're serving sin you're under sin in your life but sadly they were going to stay as servants of sin and the reason was, is they wouldn't, do you notice there, from John 8 and verse 47, hear the word of God. And that's the point that we're making here, aren't we, in Romans 6, that actually, you've, to, you've, to obey, okay, you've got to hear. There in front of them, when the Lord Jesus Christ was stood there, was the example of the Lord. He even challenges them at that time. He says, which of you convicteth me of sin? I say the truth. Why do you not believe me? But they're deaf to his words. And John 9 then shows that they're blind to who he is. That attitude is still true today amongst men, isn't it? That the Lord's life, which showed us God's character, was and is so obviously good and right and lovely and just, yet We can choose not to hear, not to see. Well, we made the choice in baptism about who we will serve. If our life is about us, pleasing ourselves, serving sin, well, we'll get its wages. But if we will make our lives about God's right ways, his righteousness, then God in his grace will give us eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see here in Romans 6, and again, I can share this now, how sin is being personified through these chapters. King sin, we sometimes uh, have it referred to, reigning over us, paying out death. But it's clear that there's a choice that's being set before us. God has given man, given each of us free will. The choice is there. Where does your loyalty lie? Who will you stand by? Who will you yield to? Who will you listen to and obey? And, and to help us see the choice, what we have just so clearly in Romans 6 and 7 are an abundance of contrasts and it really it's in chapter five as well isn't it This abundance of contrasts and i'm going to show them to you in a moment but before i do just make sure that uh, you know that padlet remember i've got the address for it at the top there um and it's there that i'm showing you that powerpoint slide so you can just sort of be able to pick it up if you went into that padlet you'd see those references to sin being personified and the point is to get us to understand look you are under sin. And when you're sinning, you're, you're making that your serving. You, that's what you're choosing to do. And, and if, if that's the choice that you choose to make, well, in the end, you'll get its wages. You know, sin like a master will pay you happily. But the wages is death. So make a choice to actually serve God's right ways. That's what we were doing in our baptism. And of course, we're going to make mistakes. And as I promised earlier in chapter seven, you'll see the the challenge that is discipleship. But we're certainly going to try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're certainly not going to try to continue in sin that grace may abound. We're not having we haven't been baptized to justify sinning sinning in our lives. Rather, we want to um, serve God. So let me show you now the contrast to help us make realize that it's just a no brainer. So can you see that now? I hope you can. That um, In Romans 5 to 7, you can see now just sort of put a list of positives and a list of negatives. And you just see how clear it is that what obedience brings, you know, the blessings or what disobedience brings. The contrasts make it a no brainer in my mind as to where our service should lie. God's gift to us is to count us righteous, based on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, based on his victory over sin. Adam's offence, his disobedience to God, brought sin and death into the world. They lorded over humanity. In our weakness, we all serve sin, the fruit of which is uncleanness. We all deserve to be paid its wages. We're all condemned to death. But through the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience, he stuck to God's righteousness. God has graciously offered life to any who will choose his ways. The fruit of yielding to God is his righteousness, his holiness, will stand now separate from the world, and ultimately it will lead to eternal life. Remember that the Judaizers, issue that a life under God's grace would lead to people justifying sin but here we're seeing in there in verse uh, the end of verse 19 or it's repeated again in verse 22 that actually a life of serving God trying to choose his right ways leads to holiness and do you remember how that under the law the high priest had holiness Unto the Lord, written on his mitre. There there on his forehead it was, wasn't it? Holiness unto the Lord. But it couldn't change the character having holiness to the Lord written on the high priest's forehead. But the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God, when understood and believed, affects our conscience. Surely it does. And that chapter six is saying, make your baptism the reality of your life. Get the principles of what has been done for us and that will make a difference. We'll choose to obey God's right ways. Yes, whilst we're mortal, we'll still keep battling That's for sure. But I hope that we've got the argument. The just shall live by faith. There's no other way. We're part of a a corrupt world. We're personally part of the problem. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is rightly and thankfully death. But the God who made us is uncompromising. He's perfect. Yet part of his character is mercy. It is who he is. It's not just that he shows mercy as if he's looked at someone and thought, well, that's a nice characteristic. I'll be merciful today. He is full of it. It's integral to him. And in his mercy, God has reached out to us. He's associated with the problem of sin by giving his only begotten son. And there the Lord Jesus Christ showed to us God's right ways. Each day he mortified the things of the flesh and chose to please his father. And as a result, at the point of his death, it could be said he's beaten sin and God in accordance with his own justice. Then raised him from death, the from the dead to eternal life. God's gracious gift to us is to impute us with the Lord Jesus Christ righteousness. He'll count us righteous. It's a gift that he'll willingly give to those who believe. He asks us to have the faith of Abraham, to walk in the steps of Abraham. If we'll trust, if we'll let God get us to the kingdom, he will. The Lord Jesus Christ died to save us. How much more now that he's living can we be confident that we're saved from the wrath of God, from the vanity of mortality? Our lives are ones of purpose. And the Lord Jesus Christ is at work to bring us to the kingdom. Or truly understanding the blessings which have come from the Lord's obedience will bring about a reaction. If we truly believe it, we want to emulate it. And therefore, our baptisms need to become the reality of our lives. Every day, we're making the choice to serve God and his right ways and to love our Lord over sin. We have a new life. We have a new master. And we'll see next week that we have a new husband. And so our service is one of love.